Okay, so as the, as the children are going out, um, I do have something for you to discuss today just for a few minutes, just to kind of get our brains pumping, get the juices flowing, get our thinking the same. Um, and this will require that you talk to people near you. So if you don't know the person next to you, this could be awkward. Hi, my name is Paul. That's all you do right there. Just introduce, introduce yourself. Um, so here's what the topic is. I'm going to say it, and I'll say it again, because when I say it, you're going to be like, what? I want you just to take a few minutes and talk about the things that you use every day, and you don't have a clue how they work. Okay? The things that you use every day, you're like, if you're like me, your answer is pretty much everything. Um, but try to get specific. Things that you use every day that you don't have a clue how they work. This is not a part of your household because he knows how everything works. So, Things you use every day and you don't understand how they work. Ready, set, go. Okay, so I've asked you to talk about things that you use every day that you don't necessarily know how they work. And um, this could be tough to do in here, but I'm going to let you scream some stuff out. Huh. I'll say yours for you so you don't have to say it. Um, Kyle said he had a really good one, so I asked him what it was, and he said underwear. I, now that I think about it, how does underwear work? I don't know, but I'm really glad that I have some on. And also that you have someone. She uses her what? Her brain. Michelle uses her brain every day and doesn't know how it works. Scary. Um, let's see. I'm just curious. What are some things that we came up with? Any Anybody want to? The internet. Cell phones. Smartphones. Fax machine. A what? The Bible. Um, what about copiers? You know you've been taking photos. You've been sitting on those for years, taking copy copy pictures of your um, and sending them to people. You don't know how that works. What else? Cameras. Okay. Your spouse. Oh. 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 No, he did not. Just go. It's good that you are wearing underwear. That's all I can say. I think we're done here. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. <laughs> it's your last one. Uh, any, I mean I, I mean, I will say this. You're so bold because you said it, and like every, everybody in here went, yeah, amen. <laughs> Bless him, Jesus. Um, any others? Self-serve? Self-self? Cell phone calls? Wi-Fi, a car, okay, that's that's true. How many of you do know how cars work? I'm mean, just curious. I'm curious if it, oh, a lot of the a lot of the ladies putting their hands up. Just I'm looking to see who to come to for help. <laughs> I, don't, I know I know how to put gas in it and turn it on. That's about it. So um, here's uh, here's a few things that I found, and you've mentioned a bunch of these already. Um, some of the technology behind the things that we use every day, we don't know how they work. Lasers. Can somebody say laser? Um, lasers are in CD players, DVD players, Blu-ray players, obviously. What about accelerometers? Who knows what that is? I knew that you would raise your hand. 
An accelerometer. Sounds like something like when your gas pedal gets stuck in the car and you wreck, doesn't it? Um, an accelerometer, if I understand correctly, you have one in your cell phone. And that's what, that's what allows your screen to know when you turn it from this way to this way to flip so you can still read it. Accelerometer. Everybody say accelerometer. You sound so smart when you say that. What about a gyroscope? Oh, a lot. Of, I'm in a smart church. I was like, yeah, I know what that is. Uh, gyroscope, I didn't know what it was. Um, but there's one in your wireless mouse at home besides your computer, unless you have a wired mouse and then there's not one. But it just kind of, well, there may be one there too, but it just keeps, keeps the movements from not being jerky. Okay, um, let's see. Radio waves. Did anybody say that in your group? No. Radio waves. Things that you use that work with radio waves are cell phones, televisions, your GPS. I have a GPS that uses radio waves. It's stuck on the wave that says recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. <laughs> um, and, of course, uh, Wendy mentioned Wi-Fi. That wouldn't work without radio waves either. The point here is not so much to make this into a science lab. But I just want to make one really clear point, okay? Knowing how things work isn't always related to using things. So sometimes we use things and we don't have any idea how they work. We just know that they do, and so we use them every single day. Now, you can turn your books in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. We are going to be in a chapter that um, if we were handing out awards to chapters in the Bible... And we were going to hand out an award, most likely to freak people out. Acts 19 would be the chapter that we would give that award to. So for the next couple of weeks, here's the stuff that we're going to learn about in one chapter. We're going to see 12 men speak in tongues. We're going to see handkerchiefs and aprons being used to heal people. And right away, you're like, see, honey, I told you, you should be wearing that apron in the kitchen, right? Wear that apron, that way you can, you can fix the food, and when we're sick from it, you can heal us. Huh. You'll get it later when you're sick. We're going to read about 12 men speaking in tongues, handkerchiefs and aprons being used to heal people. We're going to read about seven brothers that are left naked and bleeding by a demon. We're going to read about a bonfire that was worth millions of dollars. And we're going to read about a going out of business sale that turns into a riot. All of that is in Acts chapter 19. One freaky story after the next. And there's going to be a temptation, if ever there was one, and I don't know if you know that you have this card in your pocket. You have a card in your pocket? It's the I won't believe unless I understand card. Everybody has one, and we use it quite frequently. Except for things like cell phones, Wi-Fi, gyroscopes, accelerometers, lasers. We'll use those all day long and not know how they work. But when it comes to certain things in the Bible, if we don't understand it, we pull out that card. I will not believe if, unless I understand. And so to be honest, e even for me, I, it's easy to feel this burden of trying to explain the unexplainable to you. And I can't do that, right? I can't really explain the unexplainable. Um, it's good to want to know. 
it's good to want to understand. How many of you are fans of the show How It's Made? Anybody ever watch that show? See, I love that show. I love to sit down. I love um, all these new shows that show how, not only how things how things are made, but how they work. And I watch them, and I'm fascinated by them. And then I turn the TV off, and I can't remember anything I just saw. I still use it, of course, you know, and I feel smarter for having watched the show. But we really, you know, we see it, but we don't, we don't understand it. But we're fascinated by it. It's a good thing. How many of you like to read? Let me see your hands. How many of you like to learn? Let me see your hands. It's a good thing to want to learn. It's a good thing to want to read. It's a good thing to want to understand. But here's the bottom line. Sometimes, spiritually, we do this. We cross our arms and we say, I will not believe until I can understand. The problem with that is this. If you're reading the New Testament and you read what Paul wrote, lots of times Paul will say things like, it's a mystery. And so when we, I want to make sure you hear me say this, okay? When we cross our arms and we say, I will not believe until I understand the very thing that Paul, who was really close to Jesus, calls a mystery, understanding becomes an idol. And that's a scary place to be. Okay? Now, I am not saying that we're in Acts 19 and it's a weird chapter, so just take your brain out of your head and put it over here for the next couple of weeks. We won't think at all. I mean, some of you are already there. And me too. I love that. You ever just get tired of thinking? I just want to turn the TV on and veg. I don't want to think at all. And if anyone we don't want to think, we turn the TV on. Anyway. It's good to think. It's good to understand. It's not good to take our understanding and take the Word of God and make it submit to our understanding. Because there are just certain things in here that you and I, no matter how hard we try, never fully going to understand. But, like we already learned, it's good to know that things work, and sometimes it's good to use those things just because they work, even if we don't understand how they work, which is why Kyle is still going to be married. Because he doesn't have to understand how his spouse operates and works and thinks to know that she's phenomenal, right? I just helped you out. <laughs> I think you could have maybe inflected your voice when you said right, like, right. Might not have been, it, you may be like, yeah, brother. <laughs> Absolutely. So here we are, we're in Acts chapter 19. Uh, we're going to look at the first seven verses. Um, the only way to do this is just go through, just start reading, and I'll try to explain it. There'll be some obvious questions that jump out. I'll try to explain it, and I'll try to make some statements at the end that help us make sense of it all, and here we go. Acts 19. Verse 1, when, when Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they said. And Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. So the very first question that I come to in that is this. They're disciples, so disciples of whom? Are they John's disciples? Are they Jesus' disciples? And the good news for all of you is, how many of you say John? Raise your hand. How many of you say Jesus? Raise your hand. You're both right. Because nobody really knows. You'll find smart, brilliant men and women who have debated it for years, and one will say one, and one will say the other. Here's what we know from Scripture. We know that when, when the disciples, if they were, some said John the Baptist, some say Jesus, 
Luke consistently uses the word disciple to refer to Christians. So throughout the book of Acts, when Luke, who is the author of Acts, when he uses the word disciple, he more times than not is talking about disciples of Jesus. More than likely, if he had meant John, he would have said John. Verse 2, Paul calls them believers. He says this, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And Paul, when he uses that term, it's used about 20 times in Acts again by Luke. And when he uses that, he's usually always talking about Christians. So I think it's pretty safe to say, I think that these are men who are followers of Christ. They are disciples of Jesus. Paul asked the disciples if they had received the Holy Spirit when they believed. And they said they'd never even heard of the Holy Spirit. So the obvious question here is, do you receive the Holy Spirit when you're a Christian? Yes. Here's a couple verses to jot down. You've got, you got lots of room to jot because you have no outline, just blanks. So write these verses down. John 3, 5. John 3, 5 says that no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born of the Spirit. Now, when I first met Wendy, my wife Wendy, she's a phenomenal, beautiful, fantastic woman. When I first met Wendy, she was a sweet Baptist girl, and I was a stupid, same as the God boy. And I told her that she did not have salvation because she did not speak in tongues. Guess what she did to me? I still have the scar. <laughs> she didn't beat me up. She just looked at me and said, you're an idiot. She like whipped out. She's a good Baptist girl. She whips her Bible out. She starts showing me all these verses. I got the spirit right here, right here, right here. This is important because if you read this, it would sound like, wait a second, you're disciples of Jesus, but you don't even know there's a Holy Spirit. So I want to be absolutely clear. Raise your hand if you're a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit. Look at the person next to you. Look at them. They have the Holy Spirit. Even if it didn't help them look better, they still have the Holy Spirit. So John 3, 5 says, no one can enter the kingdom unless they're born of the Spirit. John 6, 63 says that the Spirit gives us life. Another one to write down, Titus 3, 5 to 6, says that we are saved through the rebirth of the Spirit given by God. Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, this is the verse that Wendy whipped out on me. Great verse. It is impossible to say that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. So did they have the Spirit when they were saved? Yes. Here's another question. Had they really not heard about the Holy Spirit? So when it says... We've not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Does it really mean we've not heard of the Holy, that there's a Holy Spirit? Possibly, but at the same time, they were disciples. They'd been baptized by John. 25 years earlier, they had been baptized either by John or 25 years later, they were baptized by somebody who had been a disciple of John. But they knew about John's baptism, and John the Baptist, as he was talking about, when he would baptize people, he would say, look, I'm baptizing you, but my baptism is pointing you to something better. And his name is Jesus, and he's going to baptize you with fire in the Holy Spirit. So yes, probably they had heard of the Holy Spirit. The better translation here is we didn't know whether the Holy Spirit had been given yet. Okay, now look, everybody go, huh? 
Because you're like, what's the point? It'll all make sense in a minute, okay? It'll all make sense in a minute. Here's what they're saying. We know that John baptized, and it pointed to someone greater. His name was Jesus. And that he baptized with, with water, but it pointed to something greater, and that was fire and the Holy Spirit. We didn't know whether the Holy Spirit had been given yet. So Paul explained to them about Jesus and that he was the one John was pointing to in verse 4. So look back at Acts 18. This is a lot like a man named Apollos. Acts 18, verses 24 to 26. Here's what it says. Meanwhile, there was a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of Scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. Sounds like these men we're talking about. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So what's going on here in both these situations is basically here's some people who know about John's baptism. They know about Jesus. They don't necessarily know everything. And some people who've been following Jesus longer, Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, pull them in and say, let me just explain a little bit more, more adequately, what you are talking about. Have you ever talked about something, had a conversation about something, and you really didn't know what you were talking about, but you pulled it off? Think college or or high school, right? Um, The way that we say this in everyday languages, have you ever BS'd your way through a test? Yeah. We love essay questions, right? We start writing forever and ever with bigger and bigger letters, and we somehow get through it, and we're like, you made an A. And you're like, how did I pull that off? That's a real-life example kind of what's going on here. Here are some men who know about Jesus, and not only do they know about it, but Apollos, man, he preached with fervor. He got up, and he would preach it, man. He knew it. He was going after it, but he didn't know it all. He didn't know all of it. There was some stuff that he was missing. Priscilla and Aquila, they heard him preach and went, wait a second. This guy really loves Jesus. And we're going to pull him into our home and we're going to explain to him more adequately the way, which was Christianity. Paul has a conversation with 12 men in Ephesus. And he says, there's something about these guys. Man, I love it. These guys are awesome. They, they know something. They know Jesus. They've heard. But something's missing. And he says in one simple question, and I love it when this happens in a conversation with me, when you're able to diagnose immediately what the problem is, which the way earlier we talked about things we don't understand, that might not happen a lot in this group. I don't know. But I love it when I have a conversation and somebody says, I don't know why this isn't working, and you just immediately know. Last week when Phil and the band were playing, remember? And the sound was weird. And so Phil just like, hey, let's pray. And he starts to pray. And as soon as he got done praying, I walked over there and I went, oh, it's that. And I saw the problem right away, and I fixed it. Well, I didn't because I'm not smart enough. But the minute he prayed, it was like I just went, hey, idiot, look there. I love it when you can diagnose things. And what's going on in this passage is Paul is having a conversation with some men, and he just immediately knows something's not quite right. Something's missing. So when you eat something at home, you fixed it, you baked it, you eat it, and your whole family goes, this is good. And you go, something's missing. Something's not quite right. And Paul says, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, we haven't even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. He explains to them more adequately. 
the way, what it means to follow Jesus. And then we get to verses 5 and 7. So what does Paul do? He baptizes them. In verse 5, he says, On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not like a ritual where he just goes, I now baptize you. I mean, this is like fill up the tub, and we're baptizing you in the name of Jesus Christ. They've been baptized by John to repentance. He said, now I'm baptizing you in the, in the name of Jesus. Oh, let me back. Paul didn't baptize him. He had somebody else baptize him. They're baptized into Jesus Christ. So whether or not they were disciples of Jesus in verse 1, and again, that's back to what I told you, men and women forever have debated that. Are these people Christians? Are they not Christians? Whether they were Christians or not Christians in verse 1, guess what they are in verse 5? Christians. Okay? You with me? They're Christians because they just got baptized into Jesus Christ. And then Paul places his hands on them in verse 6. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. I'm guessing we may have another question here. <laughs> Thank you. What are tongues? I know what tongues are. <laughs> Sorry. Before I even start to address this, let me just say this. It would be worth your time to go online and go back to week four of this series when we taught on that issue. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and they were filled and they began to speak in tongues, and we dealt with this, what are tongues? It's online, thegatheringnow.com. That's why we put the notes on there so you can go back, so you can study them. Week 4, just download it, read it, look up the passages, study it. I don't want to take the time today to go into all that. That's why we taught that. That's why we keep, the, that's why we keep them online so we always have something to go back to. We've seen tongues a number of times in Acts, okay? So let's just briefly, just briefly, let's talk about some of the highlights, some things you can just write down, some things to jot down, some scriptures. Number one, what are tongues? Tongues are a language. They are a language. They are both earthly and they are heavenly. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men, earthly, and of angels, heavenly. Just so you know, um, when you hear people say, are you a Pentecostal church? Typically, Pentecostal means, do you speak in tongues as a church? Do you not? So if you're Pentecostal, your answer usually is yes. If you're not Pentecostal, your answer is no. And if you're just kind of like, uh and a lot of churches, believe it or not, are, yeah. as a matter of fact, yesterday when I went running, I listened to a great message by Mark Driscoll, the pastor out at Mars Hill in Seattle. Fantastic church. Not a Pentecostal church. Great message on Acts chapter 2. A lot of what I'm telling you right now is the same stuff I heard him say. This stuff I've been taught for years. I'm here, and he's not a Pentecostal church. But you can't deny that tongues are here in the Bible. Okay? And they're in the Bible in two ways. One is an earthly language. One is a heavenly language. A lot of times when people talk about a heavenly language, they'll talk about a prayer language. It's your personal prayer language. So if I'm at home and I'm praying in tongues in a personal prayer language, I'm not necessarily going to pray in Portuguese. All of that would be awesome. <laughs> you know, I have the gift of southern tongue speaking, you know. It'd be awesome. I mean, think about all the things you could do with certain languages, right? But it doesn't necessarily have to be a tongue of mankind. It is... 
two languages, heavenly and earthly. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, that was the reference there. Tongues are spoken of in Scripture in two ways, in a private way and in a public way. Private way and a public way. One, the private way is available to all, from what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Paul's writing, and Paul says this, I wish that you all, I would that you all spoke in tongues. That's what he says. I would that you all spoke in tongues. Now, that's the private, in your closet, prayer language with God, Spirit praying through you. And then at the same time, Paul's very clear that he doesn't want us to come in here and go, I wish that you all publicly would speak in tongues. Because then nobody understands anything. So the private is available to all. But the public is not. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30. It's where Paul starts to list spiritual gifts. And he says, look, some men have the gift of this, and some have the gift of this, and, and to one is given the gift of speaking in tongues, and to another is given the gift of interpretation. And that's the public usage. And to be honest with you, you know when all the trouble happens in church? All the trouble happens in church when we get those two confused. When we take the private gift and we make it public. And we take the public gift and we make it private. That's when all the problems start. So Paul basically writes an entire, an entire book to Corinthians, the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. And he basically says this, look, you guys, it's fantastic that you're using spiritual gifts, but you are, you're just jacking them all up. We've got to fix this. Because everybody's saying stuff. Everybody's doing stuff. Nobody can understand anything. And so that entire letter is basically Paul going, shh, let me teach you. There's a private use. There's a public use. Again, you can go back to week four. I'm not trying to skirt it here. I'm just trying not to take time now to do what we did a couple months back. Week four. Online, thegatheringnow.com. So Paul lays his hands on them. He prays for them. The Holy Spirit comes on them. They speak in tongues and prophesy. Verse 7 says there were about 12 men in all. I just thought that was funny. When you're in a really small group, do you typically go, like at my house, we have five. If you called me and said, hey, how many did you have for supper tonight? Eh, about five. And I'd say, I had five. When I was growing up in youth group, we had this one night when a lot of people came and so this one guy got designated to count, and so he, it was a big deal. Like, I'm the counter, right? So he counts everybody that's there, and then at the end of the service, our youth pastor said, so Raymond, how many people do we have? And he got up and went, oh, it looks like somewhere between 64 and 65. Somebody cut in half? I mean, how do you do that? <laughs> they have body parts somewhere between 64 and 65? What exactly is that? So I don't know why he says there's about 12. I mean, there's probably either 12 or there's 13 or there's 11, but I'm going to go with 12, right? So there's 12 men here, 12 men. So here are some thoughts, some takeaways. This is what I really want to hammer home before we close. Number one, the Holy Spirit is a gift, and he is given by a good father. Acts 2, 38. Peter says that this gift is for all those who would believe both at the time he was speaking and all who are far off. We are the far off. I know you're looking at the people going, yeah, <laughs> y'all are far off. We are the far off people. That promise is for us. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. James 1.17, 
says that every good gift is from the Father. I love that. Now, today's Father's Day, and if anything we know for sure is going to happen on Father's Day, today some dads are going to receive some really heartfelt gifts that are terrible. So I brought a couple pictures. I thought I'd just walk you through some of the ones I found online, some of the worst possible Father's Day gifts you could give. Are we ready? There you go. Okay, this is a, um, it's called a golfer's doorstop. I mean, I guess if you really like to golf, you stick that under your door and putt. I don't know, but I think that's a horrible gift. Um, here we go. Let's keep going. I mean, any Simpson fans? I got to be honest. I, I'm not above answering the door when the UPS man comes to drop off a delivery wearing odd sorts of things, but I don't know if I'm answering the door wearing Bart. Simpson, I mean Homer Simpson slippers, okay? Keep going. This is a man groomer. Um, if any of you receive this today, sell it immediately. A man groomer. He, he does have a nice slick back, though, so apparently it works. The number three dad. Dad, you're the greatest, except for the first two. I don't understand that at all. We have a couple more. This is actually a branding iron that says Dad. I think you're supposed to use it in meat when you grill, but I can just see some dad going, you're mine, you know. Kids, don't give your dad a branding iron. Never a branding iron. Dad's stinky feet. Socks are a bad gift regardless, okay? But if you're giving him socks that say he's got stinky feet, probably also not good. I think we might have one or two more. This one's strange. I need to explain this one. Give Dad what he always wanted, a weekend for both of you in the nude. We set the mood. You provide the romance. Now, this is a problem because this is for a nudist colony, but... The problem is, theoretically, the reason it's a bad gift, your child has given it to you. And it says a weekend for both of you in the nude. Now, I love my kids, right? But I don't want to go away for a weekend in the nude with my kids, all right? So this would be, this would be a very, very, very bad Father's Day gift. This is um, have the kids shot for dad from twenty four ninety five. I love that. <laughs> Please never, never, never advertise like that. I love that. This is obviously a, a photographer. Um, but that's cheap. That's I mean, there's days that our kids really get on our nerves, and if like for twenty four ninety five, Winnie could give that gift to me. <laughs> Sweet, cha ching, right? No, I would never do that. All right. Um, <laughs> those are some pictures of really bad gifts that are going to be given to dads. I want you to understand that for all the things that we may or may not understand about the Holy Spirit, okay, the Holy Spirit is one exceptionally good gift from a really good father, okay? 
He's a good gift. The Holy Spirit, if you want to jot this down, is given for future needs more than present needs. I want to make sure you understand it. Let me just walk us through that. The Holy Spirit is given for future needs more than present needs. This, the reason why this is important is because we don't have to understand necessarily everything about how the Holy Spirit works or even why we might need the Holy Spirit because that can be explained to us in the future as we're walking that way. What we have to do right now is as children trust that our Father knows what we need. And so when we understand that it's for future needs more than present needs, it allows us to receive the Holy Spirit with trust. You all have people in your life that if they came and they gave you something and they said, look, this isn't going to make any sense right now, but I need you to hold on to this for a couple of years because you're going to need this. If you trust that person, what do you do? You hold on to it for a couple of years. And in about two or three years down the road, you have this moment where you go, oh, that's why. But if you don't trust that person, you're like, you are one weird person. Get rid of it. But when you understand that the Holy Spirit is more for the future than it is for just right now, we receive it with trust. The Father knows exactly what lies ahead. He knows what we, that we need to be empowered now for what lies ahead. As a matter of fact, all those things I read to you in Acts chapter 19, the bonfire worth millions of dollars, the out-of-business sale that turns into a riot, the seven sons, the seven brothers that go running away naked and bleeding because of a demon, all the things that we're going to read about over the next couple of weeks, that's why these guys are receiving the Holy Spirit. They need the power of the Holy Spirit for what's coming next. Guess what our church needs? We need the power of the Holy Spirit for what's coming next. Because I don't know how you feel, but I'm just not satisfied yet. I, I believe there are so many people who are just messed up. They've got so much pain, so many things going on in their lives they so desperately need Jesus, and they are powerless. If we didn't learn anything this past week, what a visual illustration, right, of how important power is. And there are people that we live around that are powerless, and they desperately need to find people that have power. I just, I love being on Facebook when I had power. And you just see all these posts, you know, we just got power. And somebody, one of their friends would say, you know, I don't have power yet. And the next thing on their wall is, come to my house. The thing about it is, man, when nobody's got power and you do, you're really popular. Just plug your cord in over here, right? You got like, you're the house with orange cords coming out of every window going to your neighbor's house. Well, guess what happens in, spirit, in the spirit room? It's the same thing. When we're a church that operates with spiritual power, we become very popular. To people who have great needs. And if we go into that, the, the next part of our church life without power, we're in trouble. But more about that when we talk about the naked men. Acts 1.8, just showing you again that the Holy Spirit is given for future needs more than present. Acts 1.8, you will receive power now so that you can be my witnesses going forward in the future. God always equips us now for what we need going forward. Paul didn't want these men to face the future without receiving the power of the Holy Spirit now. Let me make one more statement. This one's really important, so I want you to write it down. The Holy Spirit is not given so we can do weird things in church, but so that we can do warfare outside the church. Okay? 
me say that one more time. It's not given. The Holy Spirit is not given. He's not given to us so we can do weird things in church, but so that we can do warfare outside the church. The Holy Spirit has a job, and his job is to point people to Jesus. His job is to empower me to be the best pointer possible. This, again, just a recap of that fourth week's message. You need to look at it, download it, read the notes. He just empowers us to be the best pointers possible. Sometimes we get crazy in church. People do weird things in church. And they will say, I couldn't help myself. I just lost control. Look, here's my deal on that, okay? And I could be wrong. I'm totally open to God changing my heart. But I'm not sure that there's ever a time that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit to such a degree that we lose control when self-control is one of the fruits of the Spirit. Okay? So <laughs> that's not going to fly in this church. All right? Now, if you ever get so moved that you don't know what to do and you just do something crazy and weird, I'm cool with that. We'll work it out. One of my ba- favorite stories is Matt Redman. He's the guy that wrote The Heart of Worship. And he, in his book, he talks about being a teenager. And he just got overcome with the presence of God. And this is just like this sweet little guy, not, not a Pentecostal church, nothing. He's just a guy that's just falling in love with Jesus, passionate about Jesus. And he looks at his youth pastor. He says, I don't know what to do. Like, sometimes I just, I don't know what to do. I just, I'm so full of God, I don't know what to do. And his youth pastor said, I don't know, run around the building. So the next time they had youth service, there's Matt Redman on the front row, and he's just like getting into it, and all of a sudden he's gone. Where'd Matt go? He came back a little bit later and said, I just had to go run around the building. Okay. (laughs) But now he's a worship leader. I mean, he's learned how to not be afraid of that. And sometimes you have so much passion, you just can't quite get it out. And that's okay. That's okay. I'd like you to be that passionate. Sometimes when we're at home at night, we get into bed, me and Sydney, and we'll pull out my iPad, and we're reading through Judy Moody right now. Those are great books, by the way. Judy Moody's awesome. Anyway, and so she'll read, and when she starts to read, she'll, like, do the whole, eh, uh, between every word. I don't know if you ever hear people do that. It's just At some point, you're just like, stop. But she just, she can't process it. She can't get the words out. I mean, her head's hearing it. She can't get it out. She's just so full of the words, and she's just, I can't get it out fast enough. I would love to pastor a church that just can't quite get it out fast enough. So I'm not saying to you that you can't respond with emotion to the Holy Spirit because that's a great thing. What I am saying to you is this is not a haven for people to come be fruits and blame it on Jesus. This is not going to happen. You come be strange and passionate all you want. I love to talk about bad poetry, right? I want you to be so in love with Jesus like you would with a girl. If you felt so in love with a girl, you would just write her bad poetry. But you would think it was good, and you would read it like it was good, and she would know it was terrible, and the whole world would know it was terrible, but she would be like, that's so sweet, because you're passionate. I want you to be people that write bad poetry. So passionate for Jesus, you just, man, however I can love him, I'm going to love him. But he is a giver of a spirit whose fruit is control. And that's an awesome thing. That's really good for those of us that get afraid that um, if we really give ourselves to the Holy Spirit, He's going to like pick us up and whirl us around, body slam us, and send us out the door. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Because He's 
a giver of self-control. The task that we're called to do is impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the best way to point people to Jesus is to be full of the Spirit that points people to Jesus. John 16, 8 through 11. A couple more scriptures and then we'll be done. Um, at this point, all of us could be like, what are we talking about? So I'm going to give you two pictures that you can really just to hang your hat on, okay? First is this, Wi-Fi. I love Wi-Fi. How many of you like Wi-Fi? Raise your hands. Yeah. So Wi-Fi is an awesome thing that none of us understand. This is back to those radio waves. As a matter of fact, in this room right now, every one of you have Wi-Fi. Every one of you. But only some of you are using it. Because only some of you are connected to it. And so at some point, the Holy Spirit's like that. All of us have the Holy Spirit. The question is, how connected are we going to be with the power of the Holy Spirit? I love that picture for me that helps me. Here's the second one. I heard this when I was listening to a sermon by Mark Driscoll. He told this great story, and I thought, man, man, I wish, wish that was my story. I want that to be my story. You ever hear stories like that? He said they went on a family vacation. They live over in Seattle. So they, they decided on spring break, they'd load the family up in a wagon, they'd go down the coast, and they got to Oregon and all this stuff, and they decided well, you know, we're going to spend a week at the beach. And he said it was the week it just rained nonstop. It was raining, it was windy, it was horrible. He said, but every now and then the rain would stop, and we would go out on the beach. And I'd like, I'm telling my kids, we're going to have a great time, but it's going to be fun. And they'd get down there, and the wind's blowing, and sand everywhere. And they just at some point looked at him and said, Dad, this is the worst vacation ever. And he said, you're right, <laughs> you know, what can we do, How, what, what's something fun to do in the wind? And he went, a kite, let's get kites. And so he said, I didn't go out and buy like Hello Kitty kites, I went out and I bought like real kites, like man kites, kites that could fly in the wind. And so he, he said, we got out there and he said, it turned into the best vacation ever. Because as soon as they let those kites go, they just came alive. And they started going, they went up in the air, and he said, he looked over at his, at his daughter, she had a kite up in the air, and that, the kite was just dancing all around, the wind's filling, it's just dancing all around, and he looked down on the beach, and his nine-year-old daughter is on the beach, dancing with the kite on the beach. And she looked at him, and he said, she said, Dad, my kite's dancing, and I'm dancing with it. And he, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit fills us. The Holy Spirit gives us something to dance to. And just like on that beach, if you saw the kite first, you would look down to see the girl. If you saw the girl first, you would look up, why is she dancing? That's weird looking. And you, Oh, there's a kite. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. A couple of scriptures to write down. Romans 8, 11 says that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead is giving life to our bodies. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 14. God's promise to us in a valley of dry bones. He said, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. There are certain things that can only be had. Right now they're being filled with the Spirit. 
There are certain things that can only be had by saying to God, I don't have to understand it all. I want to, but I don't have to. I trust you. You're my father. I trust that you give good gifts. What I love, and I didn't quite have to word it, so I'm just giving my best shot here. What I loved about these men in Ephesus is that they didn't respond to the offer of more based on their need. They just responded because it was offered. They could have said, I'm good, man. I, I, know, I mean, I know Jesus. I know John's baptism. I've heard of Jesus. I'm good. We're, I mean, we're teaching. We're doing the stuff. And Paul said, I know, but something's missing. There's, there's more. And they went, oh, pray for us. I love that. Just to respond, yes, because there's more. That's the big idea today. That's the only blank you, blanks you have to fill in. The big idea is simply this. There's more, and that's enough. There is more, and that is enough. For those 12 men, just hearing that it was available to them was enough. They said yes. The question this morning for us is this. Can we respond the same way to that same offer? I believe this with all my heart. From that passage in that, in that chapter 19 of Acts, I believe this. That sometimes we look at our lives as Christians, and we love Jesus, and we're serving Jesus, and if we're honest... We find ourselves saying, but God, is there more? Could there be more? And men like Paul step into our lives, and they have a conversation with us, and they diagnose, and they just simply say, have you received the Holy Spirit? Well, yeah, of course I have. I'm saved. I know, no, no, but okay. Let me rephrase. Yes. When you were saved, you received the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question. Has the Holy Spirit received you? Huh? What does that mean? Simply what it says. Has the Holy Spirit received you? Have you been consumed with the fire and the power of the Holy Spirit? And those men in Ephesus said, dude, that's what we need. And he laid hands on them and prayed, and they received the Holy Spirit. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I love that we've been walking through the book of Acts. I love that we have just been asking this question. If we did today what they did then, would God do the same thing today that he did then? And so what better time than today? What better way to do it than today and just say, hey, you know what? Paul's just laid, he laid hands on him and prayed. So this morning, we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to end the service. We're just going to put some music on. I'm going to ask you a simple question. Would you like me to lay hands on you and pray for you to be full of the power of the Holy Spirit. And if your answer is yes, then here's the spot. And come on up here. And if your answer is like, I don't know, then sit where you are. Sing along with the songs. Drop your offering in the basket. Head home. It's all good. We just want to make it available to you. If you would like more of the Holy Spirit, more of Jesus, more than you feel like you have now, say, just because there's more, that's enough. My answer is yes.